Well, good morning, everybody. Glad that you're here today. Um, uh, just to tag on what uh, Tanya said, we are doing some great things. Uh, if you want to jump in with that hike, uh, I've mentioned to a couple guys and they look at me like I'm crazy, like you actually want me to go out and hike. Uh, on rocks and stuff and all that kind of stuff. So it's all good. But if you want to do that, again, meet with us. We're going up Devil's Lake. We're going to have a great time. And there are, uh, Tanya mentioned there's a lot. We have over 50 going to Trinan Farm this afternoon. And that's not, that, everybody hasn't even signed up yet. All right. So you need to get in on that because Laura spent, I think, like two hours trying to figure out carpooling status uh, yesterday. And so that's a good problem to have. It's going to be awesome. Uh, you guys are going to have a blast. I hope we bring 50 back home from the corn maze. Um, I'm sure it'll be fine. I'm sure it'll be fine. Um, but we are glad that you're here today. Uh, and, and those of you checking us out for the first time, we want you to know this is a safe place for you. This is a safe place no matter where you're at with God, even if you're here and you would say, man, this is a church. And so, but I want you to know, I, you know, I'm not even sure if I believe in God. That's cool. Uh, we hope that you come to realize that God is real and that he wants to have you in his life and he is in yours. Uh, but no matter where you're at, this is a safe place for you to dig in and ask the real, honest, genuine questions that you have about him and his word and what it looks like to have a relationship with Jesus. That's what we're all about here. Um, so we look forward to that. Well, uh, when Laura and I were public school teachers, Laura and I were both public school teachers before we got into full-time ministry. And uh, where we actually taught was not here in Wisconsin. We were in North Carolina. And uh, one summer before we got into the school year, there was a store, I think it was Staples or Office Max. I don't know. Laura can tell you later. She remembers that kind of stuff. I don't. But it was Staples or Office Max. It was that kind of a store. And they had this big uh, teacher carnival kind of a thing. And, uh, and they want to, and basically what it was, of course, it was, it was a stick. It was a ploy to get as many teachers to come into their store to shop for school supplies for their classroom as possible. Right. But what they did is they had this big event and it worked honestly, because there were like hundreds of teachers in this store at this one time for at least two hours. And, and what they did is they had music and they had food, like appetizer food. Everything was free. And you came in, you could shop and you could do what you wanted, but they also had this DJ. And he was in the middle of the store. Imagine like walking into the office max or something. And he had this table set up, right? And he's playing this music loud through, the, through this you know, music system. And, uh, and one thing that they asked apparently for him to do was to bring up and get the teachers engaged in some fun while they were at the store. And so he would play a song and he would have them like sing. It was like karaoke or something and all these kind of things. Well, Laura and I were in the store that day and we were walking by, you know, looking for stuff for teachers and enjoying the free food. That's mainly why I was there, to be honest, <laughs> as you would imagine. Um, and so we're walking by this DJ and right that, at that point, he's trying to get teachers to come forward and take this next challenge. And the challenge was that you were gonna, he was going to play the chicken dance song and, uh, and he needed four teachers to get up there and chicken dance to the chicken dance song, Right. But the stick was, the key was that you were supposed to do it in a crazy, like creative way, a different way than just normal chicken dance. And then the crowd was going to choose who was the best, like who was the dumbest, right? Basically, uh, who made a fool of themselves better is essentially what this challenge is. And so uh, Laura and I are walking by and Laura starts jabbing me. This is not my thing, right? <laughs> Dancing, making a fool of myself, not my thing. 
Definitely not Laura's thing, even more than it's not my thing, uh, because every now and then I do. But she's jabbing me. She's like, hey, you could win us some cash, like because they had cash prizes and gift cards. And she was like, man, it's free stuff. Like, why don't you make a fool of yourself, right? I'll volunteer you. So she's jabbing me. I'm like, no, no, no. And he's got three teachers up there. He needs four. Nobody's offering themselves up, understandably. And so she's jab, jab, jab. Finally, I cave, right? And so I go, okay, I'll go do the stupid chicken dance song, right? And I, so I walk up there hesitantly. He's like, oh, we have another victim, or whatever he says. I don't know. And so I go up there. He plays the chicken dance song, and I just go nuts, right? And I did that, but I, did, I don't know what even, I honestly don't know what I did. Laura was laughing, whatever, like, you're an idiot, right? But either way, it worked because the crowd chose me and I won the, uh, the cash or the gift card or whatever it was. I can't remember. It was free stuff, right? And I was like, yeah, I can. So just so you know, if you need somebody to make a fool of themselves while doing the chicken dance, I'm your guy. I'm in. But the reason I tell that story is because we will do all kinds of crazy for money and possessions, won't we? We do all kinds of crazy. Now, that's a funny example, but the truth is that we live our lives all kinds of crazy in order to get as much money or possessions as we can. And that illustrates that point. I'm willing to do the chicken dance in front of 100, 200, 300 teachers, whatever it was, just to make a fool of myself so I can win like 20 bucks. And the truth is that we're gonna, what we're going to do today is we're going to continue our series that we've been in called Recalibrate. And what we've been doing is we've been talking about all different kinds of areas and how we need to rethink or reimagine how we look at these parts of our life. We talk about the mental part of our life, the physical aspect of our life. We've talked about various different things. Well, today we're going to talk about what does God say about our money and our possessions. Now, this is always a difficult one because immediately when I said the word money, offenses and defenses went up, which is exactly why we need to talk about it, because it's one of the biggest issues that we have as followers of Jesus, including me. And so we're going to talk about what God says about these things. In fact, you might be here, and the first thought was maybe like, oh, here we go, a money talk. Of course it is, right? The second thought you might have is, does God really care or say much about money and possessions? And the answer to that is, yes, he does care a lot. And the second thing that I would say is, yes, he talks about it a ton. In fact, did you know this? I've showed statistics before here at Northridge. I'm not going to pull all those out again. But did you know that money and possessions and all the kind of the, the topics that relate to that, more than almost anything else in the Bible, that's the number one topic. Just about. There, there's a couple that are kind of a close, you know, you could kind of make an argument that maybe they're more. But essentially, money and possessions is one of the top three topics talked about percentage-wise in God's Word. Now, you might say, why? For example, uh, if you look at the topic of heaven and hell, like, like eternity, you would kind of consider that would be a big one in here, right? Like God cares about that. He talks about, God or Jesus talks about money more than heaven and hell combined in the Bible. Just to give you perspective. Now, the question is why? Why does God do that? Why, does, why did Jesus spend so much of his time teaching about money and possessions? Well, the answer is simple, and my guess is you already know. It's because it's such a big deal. It's such a huge topic for us as human beings. 
And it's such a difficult thing for us. It's a thing that can trip us up. And so today, what I want to talk about, you guys know we could go a couple of different routes with this, but what I want to talk about today is not so much how we recalibrate our thinking about money, but I want to give you two reasons, two very specific godly arguments as to why we need to recalibrate our thinking about money and possessions. These are kind of the arguments of why, because maybe you're sitting there and go, I don't know if this is all true. I don't know if God really cares about my money or my possessions. And what I just told you is he does, and he has some very key, very specific, very important things to say about it. All right. So I'm going to give you two arguments as to why we need to recalibrate our thinking on money and possessions. All right. So the first one is kind of, it's really practical, actually, and it's found in God's word. But the first point is this. We need to have only one master. We can have only one master. Now, let me tell you, when I grew up, I grew up as a kid in South Dakota. And so when I started watching football, the team that I would watch on TV, because it was really the only team that I had the opportunity to watch, we didn't have NFL ticket and I could watch all the things, you know, couldn't watch everybody play. And so I could only watch who was on TV. So guess who I grew up watching because I was in South Dakota, which doesn't have an NFL team, by the way. But the nearest closest one, which is, this is very sad, is the Denver Broncos in Colorado, right? And so I grew up watching the Denver Broncos, became a loyal, intensely loyal fan long, long ago when I was literally started in like first grade. So I grew up on John Elway and the Orange Crush defense and Vance Johnson, the three amigos, all those guys. If you don't have no, have no idea what I'm talking about, that's okay. You didn't grow up in South Dakota. It's cool, right? But I grew up watching them and being loyal to them. And then fast forward, I'm getting ready to go into my seventh grade year and our family moves from South Dakota to Eau Claire, Wisconsin, okay? So now I'm a Denver Broncos fan transplanted into Wisconsin, but I had always had this kind of this like and this affinity toward the Green Bay Packers. I honestly did before we ever moved to Wisconsin. But then we moved to Wisconsin. Everybody was like, it was kind of like another religion. I'd never heard of Packers religion, but I kind of found out, right? But in all honesty, I just kind of started to adopt the whole Green Bay Packers thing. And, I, and they quickly rose to be one of my favorite teams as well. In fact, so much so that I still, even to this day, I consider really the, the Broncos and the Packers to be very much equal in my mind, in my loyalties and in my, like what I watch. In fact, this year for sure, uh, the Green Bay Packers maybe have risen a little bit more. Just so you know, the Denver Broncos have won this many games so far this year. Woo! That's difficult to do, guys. Lose every game so far. The Packers are doing much better. But the truth is now, here's the point though. What happens is the problem is when these two teams play each other. That's a problem, isn't it? Now I can't cheer for both. Normally I can. But when they play each other, I can't cheer for both. They can't both win. Right? They, bo they both can't win the game. They can tie, but they both can't win. Okay? And so the problem becomes that then my loyalty comes true and the Denver Broncos actually do rise above the Packers. I'm sorry to say it. You can throw fruit at me and rotten stuff later. I know I just broke the religion, right? But the truth is that my loyalties rise to the top. Why? Because I cannot serve two masters. I cannot serve two masters. In fact, that's the point that God makes, Jesus actually made, in one of his sermons. Jesus is preaching to a whole bunch of people, and in the middle of that, he spends a whole long time talking about money and possessions for quite a while. 
But I want to pull out one point that he mentions in the midst of that sermon when Jesus was preaching about money and possessions. This is what he says. Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. In other translations, it simply says you can't serve both God and money. You can't serve both. You have to choose. And the problem becomes when, I don't know about you, but when we're in our jobs and we're in the practical sense, it is easy to serve money, right? It is easy to serve money because we can see money. I can see my account and I can see and be like, yep, need a little bit more in that thing, right? <laughs> We're not going out to eat this week, right? I mean, that's, I, I don't know about you, but I, I do, we do the same thing. We're like, okay, how do we make this work? We need to move this over to here. We need to probably stop paying for this so we can do this because Hannah wants to be in something else now. Okay, we, if we're going to do that, we need to not do that, right? I get it. We do all that too. And the truth is that that stuff's right in front of us. And what Jesus is saying is you cannot serve both masters. You can't chase after money and also chase after God. A lot of us believe we can. Some of you don't believe what I just said. I'm simply quoting Jesus. He says, you can't do it. Uh, it's kind of like the Romans. Um, you guys know I love history and some of you are like, oh, eye roll. Cue the eye roll, right? Here goes the history lesson. But the Romans, they tried this. They tried to have more than one ruler. Uh, and it was called the first triumvirate. So what they did is they put three people in charge of their nation, okay? And they call it the first triumvirate. Well, the problem was that what ended up happening is these three people ended up betraying each other and, and trying to get at each other and try to kill each other with their own armies. Imagine each of the Roman armies going at each other. And these three people, they, they used their armies to fight each other and betray each other. And eventually one rose to the top. He's pretty famous. His name is Julius Caesar. Julius Caesar rises to the top, and what was his reward for winning that status? You know what it was? He was murdered by his own Senate. That was his reward. And then, you know what the Romans did? They said, you know what? That worked so well. Let's try it again. I kid you not. They, this is called the second triumvirate. <laughs> you can look these things up. It's like I'm not making stuff up, right? It sounds weird, I know, triumvirate. We don't use these words. But this is what it is. The second triumvirate, and they put three more people in charge. Guess what happened? They betrayed each other. They tried to kill each other. And eventually, Octavian rises out to the top, and he becomes what is known as the first Caesar or emperor of what is now going to be called the Roman Empire from then on until it is destroyed. Why? Why did one person rise out? Because you cannot serve more than one master. We're just not wired that way. You can't do it. It's impossible. And so this is what Jesus is saying. is all these problems, all these things, we cannot serve both God and money. We just can't do it. And so the question I have for you before I go to the second argument is who's your master? Who's your master? In fact, I wasn't going to say this, but I think it needs to be said. The vast majority of people who are followers of Christ, money is their actual master. We know this because it's easy to follow the checkbooks. 
It's easy to follow the possessions. We hold very tightly to them. I will be the first to admit that I have to work at being generous sometimes because I do not like to release what I have. This American culture has been ingrained in me just like it has in you. And so it's hard to release what we have been given or what we've earned, right? And that's part of the right is we say, but God, I've earned this. But it kind of goes back to the physical, the body, and the mental and all that stuff. Who owns everything? God does. And so we, and the question I have is, who's your master? What's the honest answer to that? The second argument that I would give you, uh, that one is practical, kind of master, you know, who's your master, and you can't serve uh, two masters. But the second one is going to sound kind of weird, to be honest, uh, but you're going to get it right away. The second argument that we need to rethink about money and all that kind of stuff is because loving money is bad, okay? <laughs> Isn't that a fun point? <laughs> Right? I, I love, I love uh, every now and then, like a point is more toward the negative side, right? This is kind of one of the loving money, bad. Just not good, right? Now, I want to clarify something because you may have heard this wrong. I didn't say money is bad. It's really important. I didn't say possessions are bad. A lot of people get that connotation from like pastors in church. Right? And they say, you need to give everything you have, and if you don't live on the street, you're worthless. I mean, we kind of get that sense, don't we, sometimes? And we, we kind of start thinking money is actually bad. That's not at all what God ever says. Jesus never says that. But God does say loving money is bad. In fact, let me share with you one of the verses, many verses that tell us this. 1 Timothy 6.10 says, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Not all evil, but all kinds of evil. And some people craving money or loving money, you could say, have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. Now, I want if, uh, just leave that verse up there for a second. I want you to look at that verse. There may be a couple of things that stand out to you. There are two things that definitely jumped off the page to me. The first one is that it says the love of money is the root, is the cause, is the foundation, is the core of so many different kinds of evil. If you want to look at the worldwide problems, lack of water, lack of food, if you want to look at sex trafficking, if you want to look at so many of those things, when it ultimately comes down to is people loving the wrong thing. Am I right? And so it forces them to treat other people in a different way. And so if we have enough people who have enough money and enough means to help these people out, but they won't, that means that they're focused on themselves first and them second. Well, this is exactly what God is saying is you're focused on money first and God second. God will give you what I have, but that's all I can do. Right? I'll give you what's left over, but that's all I'm going to do. And what God says is the love of money is a problem. Money is not the problem. Possessions aren't the problem. Loving them is. And the second thing you might notice if you look at this, it's kind of a weird thing to put with a verse that's on money. But it says if you love money, then that's the root of all kinds of evil. But then it goes on to say, it says some people have left God. They've forsaken God. It doesn't say specifically, but they, they've wandered from the true faith. They've left God behind in favor of 
money. And as a result, what happens to them? They are pierced with many sorrows. Now, what's interesting is that's a weird phrase. We're talking about getting pierced or like stabbed or jabbed through is what that means, pierced. Okay? Uh, this, this phrase, pierced themselves with many sorrows, actually comes from one Greek word. We have to put it into several English words because our, our language is not quite as efficient. Let's put it that way. The Greek word, there's one Greek word that we had to translate into that many words. And the one Greek word is peripyro. Peripyro. And this word literally translates to mean that. It means that you're run through or you're pierced by many tribulations or afflictions or sorrows. Okay? Now, why do I bring that up? This is the only time in the entire Bible, front to back, that this Greek word is used. The entire Bible. They never use this word at any other time. They use it once to describe what happens to us when we replace God with money. And I want us to understand that Jesus and God does not make mistakes on these words. And what he's saying is, if we elevate money to the wrong status, to the wrong priority in our lives, we will be pierced, we will be run through with problems, afflictions, sorrows. A lot of us don't realize how high money and how intense money can be in our lives. But what God is saying is, this will cut you to the core. This will jab you deep. This is not going to be a glancing blow for you. The damage that you're going to do with the money and possessions is going to run very, very deep to you. And I see this in people a lot. Greed overtakes them. It's one reason, and I've never said this out loud, it's one reason why, as a church, we do not promote or agree with gambling. Because we've seen, I cannot tell you how many lives I've seen destroyed by people getting wrapped up and getting caught in that addiction. Because it's a greed thing. When we think about it, we get a rush when money comes our way. I feel it too. I do too. One of the first things I'll say when Lord, when I, if I get a gift card or something like that, I'm like, oh, we can go and I don't have to pay for it. Yes. I don't know about you, but I walk home and I'm telling Laura, I was like, this is going to be awesome. Should we go out tonight? It happens. <laughs> it happens. It's like, we got a gift card. Like, let's just go. <laughs> this is awesome. Right? And, and there's this rush. There's this like, Yeah. And, and, and I'm not saying that that's unhealthy totally, but to some degree, that feeling and that rush that we get when, with money and possessions, let's be honest, to some degree is unhealthy because we long for it, maybe too much. And God says, you'll be pierced, the damage will go deep. Now, I had this interesting thought that God brought to me this week as I was kind of thinking through this, praying through this um, and he brought this to my mind. So this may not even be for you at all, but I'm going to share it because it very much impacted me. Whenever I have had the opportunity to work with people that have very little money or means or possessions, uh, and when I've heard so many other people tell stories about when they've gone overseas to people that have virtually nothing. Uh, in fact, I just heard that this week. 
in a meeting that I had. And what I realize is not 100% of the time by far, but, but the majority of those people, you know what I notice? There's a lot of joy. There's a lot of contentment. There's a lot of smiling, a lot of happiness. Because, and, and you know what I realize? And God just showed me this. Again, this may not be for you, but this was for me. What God showed me is maybe it's because they haven't been pierced to the core of their soul with this desire and this greed. I realized that maybe money and possessions are actually one of the biggest things stealing our joy, even though we think it's the one that's going to give us joy. So the truth is, I could spend the rest of the time talking to you about how we should recalibrate our thoughts on money. But I'm not going to do that. What I want you to do is I want you to hear from somebody who's just recently wrestled with this and has come out on the other side seeing what God can do. And so, Jessica, come on up. <laughs> I think she's ready. Give her a hand for being willing to share, please. Um, all right, yeah, have a seat. Join us in the, the little extra living room here, right? Um, so uh, as, as usual, I <laughs> uh, had a conversation with Jessica. She's willing, but scared, <laughs> right? Um, she, if you ask her, she had some crazy dreams last night just because she's like thinking about all the things. Um, but Jessica, thank you for being with us here, seriously, um, you know, and let, let them in on what you've been wrestling through and what God's been doing in you. Um, so I really appreciate it. Um, so, so we've been talking about money and the proper place that it has in our lives. Um, so you have started to make some changes in your life, and we'll get to that, obviously, here in a minute. But in order to do that, of course, you know we have to go back. So take us back a few years ago, Chicago, all that stuff that you kind of had mentioned to me. Uh, take us back to where uh, you were, and then quickly bring us up to kind of where God started to knock on your heart in this area on money and finances and, uh, and where that kind of led you to. Morning. Um, I do have notes, so if you're like, what's she looking at? Um, so I lived in Chicago about five years ago and had a great life, was living an awesome, awesome life, making money. And I always had side hustles on the side. And one of these side hustles landed me in a significant amount of debt. Hmm. Um, and I feel compelled to say that it was a business decision because if I were to tell you that it was shopping or frivolous, there would be a lot of embarrassment for me and a lot of shame because that's what I carried with this debt that I found myself landed hmm. in. Hmm. Um, I was somebody who always did everything right in terms of finances, and so to all of a sudden land negative mm. and not see a way out was mm. hard and embarrassing, and I didn't share with anybody for years and years. Mm. Um, unrelated to that, I had decided to move home to be near my family, but I was like, well, this would be a great opportunity. I can move home, and I can save money, I can save rent, and I can dig myself out of this hole that I've mm. gotten in. And um, I'm nothing but a hard worker, and I'll work my tail off. I'll get out of this debt. Mm -hmm. um, and I did that. 
but I didn't get out of debt. And no matter what I was doing, I was just paying the minimums and the interest. And I could not get out of it. So one year of living at home with my parents has turned into five years of living at home, which is a 34-year-old. I'm like thrilled to tell all you. I'm single and, um, if I, you know, like great. Yay! Yay! <laughs> really a, pr a proud moment for me. Um, well, Failure to launch. I, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm a millennial, <laughs> but it's great. Um, but seriously, you know, I laugh about it, but I was crushed and mm. um, didn't want to tell anybody. Yeah. Oh. So, um, meanwhile, start coming to Northridge, and this was probably about two years ago. Uh, you guys did a sermon series called Blessed Life and played a video of Pastor Robert Morris, who talked about tithing, amongst other things. And my main takeaway is from his video, I had a lot, but one that really stuck with me was what if your spiritual gift is to be is to give mm. and because your finances are so out of whack mm. so to speak um god can't use you mm. and that he wants to bless you and wants to bless those finances but isn't able to because your finances aren't in order mm. and um So I had kind of decided, so from there, I really wrestled with the idea of tithing. So he spoke on tithing, mm -hmm. and but I, like everybody, probably made lots of justifications. I'd like to think I'm not alone in this. And I was like, well, I'm very generous with my time. I volunteer a lot. <laughs> and when people ask for $20 for a fundraiser, I always give $20. And, you know, what is the church going to do with my money anyway? And, um, mm -hmm. I, I mean, you name it, I went through it. Um, in struggling with what does it mean to tithe, and is it after taxes? Is it before taxes? I mean, so really, like logistical. Things. The age-old question. Yeah, yes, you know, absolutely. I'm like, oh, I don't know. But somewhere <laughs> along the way, I had decided I, I couldn't do it on my own hmm. anymore, and I, I very rationally decided in the new year. As a New Year's resolution, I was going to tithe 10%, and I had decided after taxes <laughs> that, I, like, when it comes to, like, you know, it was very rational, but... <laughs> good planning. Good yeah, planning. Absolutely. Plan it out. But while I was in the midst of all my planning, there was the pieces of it that I couldn't do on my own. So mm. when I would do my debt snowball worksheet, I found myself praying... I could work three jobs. Mm. I could quit all my volunteering. I could get out of this debt, but I can't do it alone. And mm. so God, somehow this phrase, I'm material for a miracle, resonated mm. with me mm. because I couldn't do it alone. Mm. Oh, yeah, see there. I wrote, and I, it wasn't until the conclusion of this story that I went back to my journal and kind of like the movie I can only imagine when he goes through the journal. Yeah. I had written, I'm material for a miracle over Everything. everything we we have like three or four more pictures we just couldn't put them up there but i mean it she wrote this everywhere everywhere 
over and over again. So, so Jessica, so you, so you did this. I mean, you work through this and you're praying and, and you're realizing like, okay, I can work three jobs. I can do this. But you're realizing, you're starting to realize, I can't do this without God. Like, there's something missing here. I need this. And material for a miracle is one thing. Uh, but you're, you're trying to wrestle through this. So, um, so you kind of make this plan, uh, which is, I love, hilarious. It's like, okay, God, I'll tithe, but I need to, I'm going to start in January, right? <laughs> like, I need to hold off because I'm a planner, right? I, I get that because I'm a planner as well. I'm like, okay, God, but let's wait until November 15th or, you know, whatever. So you get that, but then God decides to push you a little bit more and to ramp up the timeline a little bit. So there's this Sunday in December. Why don't you take us to that and then where that took you from there? So uh, it was the Sunday before New Year's Eve, right after Christmas. And it was normal services, usual. And I was singing in the last song. And somewhere in that last song, I started to cry. And I heard, like, you cannot wait till January. Which is funny because it was literally one week before January. <laughs> We're almost there, We're God. Almost Come there. on. And I was like, no, you can't. You cannot wait. And so I sat down during the service and I wrote out a check. And it was, you know, it was a very budgeted check. It was like one half of one tenth of because I was going to budget every week. And so it was not a lot of money. I told you, my haircuts in Chicago cost more than this check. <laughs> and I would treat someone to dinner and pay more. Right. But I'm crying, and I wrote this check. Mm-hmm. And then the service ended, and Pastor Chris had done the service. So she went out, and that left Pastor Brent in the back. And everybody left, and I sat holding this check crying. And he came up, you know, probably to be like, hey, and then saw I was a hot mess. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I was like, I have this check, and I'm in this financial pickle, and it's not even a lot of money, but, like, what do I do? I really want to give it. And Pastor Brent said, it is not about the money. It's about obedience. And if you're walking on the street, and somebody needs a pair of shoes, and you hear, give them your pair of shoes, you give them your shoes. And you might have said other things, but that was all I heard. Uh, and, um, <laughs> and I, I did the chicken dance yeah. as well, but we don't have to worry about that. And I, I went and I dropped the check. And then I continued to write, and I had to physically write the check out. And I prayed over it, and I had to rip it, and I had to let it go every single week. Hmm. I did go back and rewatch the Pastor Robert Morris video, and he said it should be the first 10%. So that changed a little. And now I'm glad to say I can use the e-reader. And, and, but I do wake up every Friday that I get paid, and I sit with my checking, and I, I pray, and I say, God, the first 10 is yours. I cannot do this alone. Um, and then you also, I, I, we, I know you mentioned it, referenced it, but in the midst of this time, then you also had this journal entry. Yeah. that uh, I think we have a, actually a picture of it, but you wrote this down. Yeah. So February, oh, I forget. No, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> it's all good. <laughs> um, February, my mom said, you know, it's okay to ask for you to be blessed. I think I had a really naive belief that mm-hmm. God wasn't big enough to bless me and others. And 
um, even the first line is, God, please bless my finances. I'm no more deserving than people who have lost everything in floods and fires. Mm. And I think that was hard for me to, um, to, to realize that by him blessing me, I wasn't taking away from other people's prayers. That's right. Absolutely. So, isn't that, isn't that powerful, though? I mean, just listening uh, uh, to God. Um, so, Jessica, so let's, let's fast forward a little bit. So, you kind of start doing this. You're like, okay, God, rip the check, right? <laughs> Hand it in. And, you, and you've been doing this then for several months. Then we hit May, right? And something happens with the account, right? You can share that. And then tell us what happens after that, because it's some pretty amazing stuff. Pretty cool how God kind of takes this full circle, so to speak. So I've been tithing religiously every week uh, up until, May, well, till today, but in May. Um, and I was at work, and I looked at my account, and of course I had some pending charges, and I was really aggressively paying down debt. So I was going to overdraw my account. So I had to run to the bank before that payment went through from my other account, transfer money. I don't know if anyone's ever done that, but like, <laughs> no, but I never, made never it. No late that. fees for me. Um, <laughs> and I went home and at my parents' house was my sister and brother-in-law and family. It was their wedding anniversary. So everybody was there. And my sister said, did you see my text message about Facebook? And I was like, no, I didn't. I was driving home. And she's like, well, look at this. And I looked at it, and she goes, I think it's your map. Well, I one of my side hustles that I didn't really do anything with was I sold a map, a wooden USA map on Etsy. And it just lived there. For three years, I sold maybe 15 tops. It cost 20 cents a month to have a listing, so it just sat and lived. I'm like, wow, that really does look like my map. And so I went and I cross-referenced the gal who had posted this photo of how she put the map together. And sure enough, it was the same woman. And so I reached out to her and I'm like, hey, this popped up on my sister's Facebook. Do you mind if I use this to advertise? And she's like, yeah, that's fine. Um, and I'll put um, your link in it. Because by the time we had seen it, we being my sister and I, it had been shared over 50,000 times and it had over 30,000 comments. And all the comments were, how do I get this map? Where do I buy it? And so my sister started posting in the comments, like, this is my sister's map, buy it here. <laughs> and she, the gal whose post it was, included my link. Um, and she goes, by the way, it's been viewed over 10 million times from what she could see on her side. So by the time I went to bed, we're like running around the house <laughs> looking for any maps I have in stock. It had been, um, I got 12 orders by the time I went to bed, which yeah. was crazy because I had 15 in three years. So right. I'd like right. double. In, in a couple hours yeah. you get, yeah. So I wake up in the morning and I run to the woodcutter laser where I have this cut and I'm like, this, this, I think, went viral. I think I need to order 50. <laughs> Don't overdo it. 50. 50. And I remember being at work, and my coworker's like, do you think you should have ordered 100? And I'm like, oh, I don't want inventory. I, <laughs> I don't know. Um, but long story short, by the end of the week, there were 600 orders. By the end of two weeks, there were 1,600 orders. And to put it in a monetary value, that was over $100,000 of revenue. 
over half of which was profit. And today, um, I'm nearing 3,000 orders, and I am 100% debt-free. I have a down payment for a house. I don't have student loans. I don't have a car payment. Um, that's where I'm at. Awesome. Awesome. When God, when you get God in the right order, and that's, I mean, that's what you've seen in a powerful way. It doesn't always work this way, right? And we want to understand that, but this is amazing how God made it work this way for Jessica. Um, so Jessica, one more question, just, uh, and we are uh, kind of tight on time, so, um, but I want to give you opportunity. Two questions, really. One, just briefly, what has God showed you through these last couple of years of walking in this? What, is it, what has he taught you? And then just a second question that might tie to that. Um, for those of us in here who we also struggle with money, we also struggle with making sure God and is in the right priority and money should be underneath that. For those of us in here that struggle with that as well, just like you have, um, what would you say to us? I think the, the main thing that I was thinking um, through this and what I want to share with everyone is that when it seems too big to give it to God in every aspect of our lives, not just money, mm. and um, to let go of the control. Mm. And if I were, I, I did a devotional this morning and mm. I, would, I would leave you on this note if you don't mind. That's fine. Because I was like, I read it, and I was like, oh, thanks, God, because I think it sums it up. Hmm. Losing my control allowed me to find my faith. The freedom God gives us as we learn to surrender provides the peace needed to pray big things. Hmm. And I think when I let go, I was able to pray for those blessings that I needed. Hmm. So that's Amen. Jessica, thank you. Give her a hand. Thank you. for. Thank you. There's another verse, and uh, I know Jessica had uh, tacked on to this somewhere in that journey as well. We didn't have time to share everything, obviously. But there's another verse where God says, specifically about money and finances, he says, test me in this. Test me in this. Test me in this. And God says, you will find me faithful. Just to that point, that was perfect, what you shared on the devotional. You cannot pray and expect the big things until we release them so that God can make them big. So my encouragement to you today is, let go. Whatever it is. We've talked about money and possessions. Maybe it's something different for you. Maybe that's not the issue for you. Whatever it is, though, if we hold on to it, God cannot take it and use it because it's still in our hands. Release it so that God can do what only he can do, and it'll be amazing. Let's pray.